If you are a visitor, we are so glad that you were here. I want us to welcome, as many of you know, we start a new traditional service October 7th at the same time this is going on in the chapel. This morning we have a pre-launch going on, and there are about 150 people over there already. So why don't we welcome them in the chapel as they are watching us live. You're looking around, but you can't see them because they're not in here. They are actually watching us live. If you're a visitor, we've been going through the book of Ephesians since March. And what we'd like to do is go verse by verse to expose the text and what God intended to his original listeners and how that translates to us today. Last week, we talked about Satan and the origin of Satan, of when he originated, who he was, how he works. Two things happened this past week, and it's kind of the way it goes when you talk about Satan. After I preached, I got off the stage, and someone came up to me, and I'll paraphrase, but he grabbed my hand pretty firmly and said, you know you messed up, right? He said, that was pretty brave of you, talking about Satan. He doesn't like that. So be ready. He said, be ready this week. I thought, okay. He was right. This past week was probably one of the most difficult weeks I've had in my life. I uh, go home Sunday and go to lunch with some people from church, get home around 5 to find out the Cardinals lost once again. (laughs) Yesterday, my favorite team, Arkansas Razorbacks, didn't stand a chance. I think they forgot to show up. They lost. And then... All joking aside, things got worse when last night my wife and I got a phone call that really um, no son-in-law ever wants to hear. The in-laws said, we're coming to visit. I mean, Satan was, <laughs> Satan was all over the place in my life. I, think, I thought things couldn't get any worse. You get that, and I know it was him right before the message. I'm joking. They don't listen to me live, so I'm okay. (laughs) But I have to be honest, spiritually speaking, it was challenging last week, y'all. Talking about and exposing who Satan is. There is a second thing that happened to me after service. And this is more serious moment. A good friend of mine who I love, I love his heart. He was raised in this church. He's now a colleague, Daniel Schaup. Many of you know him. He sent me a message and in the message, he, I'll paraphrase, but said something to the extent of, thank you for preaching the stuff that's not easy or fun to preach. He said, thank you for not trying to be a pastor who's trying to be cool. And I'm glad he said that, because to be honest with you, um, I don't have any hair where I can't put that cool hipster part on the side. Uh, my pants can't get any tighter. I can't, I don't have much cool factor in me. But he did say this, which has stuck with me all week long. Thank you for teaching this stuff. This is a matter of life and death for people. I I want you to listen to that truth. This is a matter of life and death. So when we talk about spiritual battles and spiritual forces, I know it kind of seems hokey pokey at times. That is exactly what the enemy wants you to think and feel. So you never have have to worry about fighting anybody, these unseen forces that Paul is speaking of. 
Let me say something that hopefully will sober you up. Many of us, and I've said this several times, many of us have heard God has a plan for your life. How many of you have heard that from somebody? And they're right. If you're in this room and you're breathing, if not, we have a whole other issue, but if you're in this room and breathing, hear me, God has a plan for you. No matter where you are in life, He's not done with you yet. And Satan has a plan for you too. And if you're breathing, he's not done with you yet. Do you understand that? He wants to destroy and devour you. Do you understand how much Satan hates you if you're a Christian? If you're a Christian, He hates what you stand for. He hates your Father in heaven. He hates you if you're a Christian. And He wants to devour you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, don't worry, He already has you. If you're a Christian, He hates you. Paul, after speaking to the book of Ephesians, he goes to really expose who God is. And and I really tear up when I read Ephesians 1, when it talks about we are chosen, and we are predestined, and we are adopted. To think about that, and God is not a God who goes to the adoption agency and picks the cutest kids in there or the ones who has it all together or the ones that aren't, who are flawless without in, any informities. God gets the ones who nobody else wants and he adopts them. So to think about in, in that in chapter 1 of Ephesians when he Paul exposes the character of God. It's mind-boggling why God would even want me, to be honest with you. I've messed up so much. Look at my resume. I shouldn't be a pastor. Why would you want me, God? See, his love is based off of his character, not your character. So Paul exposes God, then he exposes Satan and the schemes of Satan. If it's true, according to Scripture, that the enemy is like the devil on the prowl, seeing who he can devour, if that's true, if he came in John 10, 10, so you can steal, kill, and destroy, if that's true that he hates your guts, if that's true that he's constantly going to attack you until Jesus comes back, wouldn't you want to know how to fight back? Wouldn't you want to know, how do I fight these schemes? How is he going to come after me? I'm glad you asked. This is such a great class. You asked great questions. Paul gives us three imperatives. These are not three suggestions for the Christian. These are three imperatives for the Christian. Commands. A must-do Ready? Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. Imperative number one, be strong in the Lord 
It's a passive imperative, meaning you need to do this, but you can't do it. Does that make sense? Be strong in the Lord, Christian. There are so many weak Christians. Stand firm. Be strong. Fight back, Christian. Just be strong. Imperative, passive imperative, number one. And in the strength of his might. Be strong. Great. I know what to do. Where do I get my strength? Easy. The strength comes from him, not from you. And he tells you, look at this next verse, 11, second imperative, to put it on. I put on for my city. Put, put it on. It's kind of like this. When I was a little boy, I have a Michael Jordan jersey I've had for a very long time. My wife's trying to throw it, trying to throw it away three or four times. It ain't going to happen. I actually, I've, I hit it. It's in my office now. But it's one of those things, the jerseys, where you can't get the smell off. You've washed it so many times, just smells sweaty. When I was a kid and played basketball, I don't know why, but when I would put the Michael Jordan jersey on to go play pickup ball, like, I thought I was that good just because I put the jersey on. Forget being 5'9 and Hispanic. I, th- I mean, I thought I was good. And I would try to play like him, stick my tongue out like him. But something about the jersey made me feel like I was better than I was. It empowered me. And it was interesting because the times I didn't, it's psychological. I know you think I'm crazy. You know how it is, Ladies. When you got your little stilettos on, all of a sudden it changes the confidence and the way you walk and the way you feel about yourself, right? It makes a difference. Kind of the same thing. Had this jersey on, it made a difference. For some reason, when I didn't put the jersey on, I didn't think I was that good. It was all about putting the jersey on that gave me the confidence. When Paul is saying, put on the might and strength of God... He is saying your confidence is not going to come from what you can do. Because we know what we can do. We're jacked up. No, he's saying the confidence in your strength is coming from what God can do. And when you put on the armor of God, that's when you have true strength. You are too weak and feeble to defeat the enemy. But God's strength is how we are going to defeat the enemy. Put on the armor of God. Put on God's strength. And his might, let me give you another example. You can know about his might, but never put his power on. You can know about his might, but never experience his power. Just because you know about him doesn't mean you experience him. Example, what is power? It's might in action. Think about that. What is power? It's might in action. Let me give you an example. This does no good if it stays on your coffee table and collects dust. There's a lot of power and might in this thing, but just because it sits in your house doesn't mean it transferred to, to you through osmosis. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of might. Where does the power and might come in play? When I take this and walk by faith, not by sight, and when I apply the Word of God to my life and walk as if what He said is true, that's when the power of God begins to work through me and before me. Otherwise, if you have this power and might on your coffee table collecting dust, all it is is power and might. You can work and you can walk, but you won't experience the power. 
saying, put it on. Put on the power of God. Third imperative. Stand firm. He says this three times, by the way. He says put on twice. He says stand firm three times. You know what this is? You know why he says this three times? This was kind of the stance they would take. Keep in mind, you know where Paul is right now when he's writing this? He's in prison. Can you imagine he's sitting here in prison? And, and he's writing through the Holy Spirit, and he's writing this letter. He's looking up, and he's thinking, and he sees a soldier, a Roman soldier right in front of him. He's saying, ah, I'm going to look at what he's wearing, and the people I write to will understand this because they understand what a Roman soldier wears, and so all this will begin to make sense to them. And so Paul begins to write about these Roman soldiers and, and, and what they're wearing and why they're wearing it so it would relate to these people. And he begins to write. He tells them to stand firm. The first thing he says, stand firm. So when you're in, when you're in battle, you, you get your legs right, you stand firm. You get prepared to receive opposition. You get prepared to receive what's going to come your way when you're in battle. This is the, first, the third imperative. He says, stand firm. Get ready. Standing firm means to always be ready for opposition. It's going to attack you. Not if. It is going to. Stand firm. And here's what I love. Stand firm against what? Against the schemes of the devil. What are the schemes of the devil? He has tons of schemes that's custom made just for your life. Well, Pastor, well, how does he know? How does he know how to attack me? Easy. You've already given him the game film of your life, you've already shown him where you're weak. You've already shown him the sin that you love. You've shown him your weaknesses. That's why he targets where you're weak. It's not a coincidence that the things you're trying to fight off, you can't fight off. It seems like it keeps coming to you. That's not a coincidence. He knows where to attack you. His schemes are many. Do you know what I love about what Paul does? He talks about the schemes of the devil. He goes in verse 12, says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In-laws, I love you, if you're listening. But against the rulers. Look at, listen to the hierarchy of rulers that he then begins to give us. It's a hierarchy, okay? Listen, verse 12. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a lot of evil in this world. Do you know how God accomplishes his will normally? Through humanity. He uses us. I don't know why he wants to, but he uses the broken to reach the broken to accomplish his will. Do you know how Satan works? Through humanity. Through humanity. When you see evil acts carried out, you know the ultimate little G is behind that, the prince of this world, God is Satan. But he's working through humanity. He's working through people to accomplish his will. So you have this hierarchy. 
He says again, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, which we're in now, having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14 says it again, stand firm. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. The schemes of the devil, as I was studying, I don't want to take it out of context, but I do wonder what Paul's about to give us next is the armor of God. The armor of God is what he gives us so that we know how to fight against evil. I wonder if the armor of God exposes the devil we fight. What do you mean? Let's take a look at this. Here we go, the armor of God. You ready? He gives us five defensive components, one offensive component. Five defensive components, one offensive component. Ready? Number one, the first thing we see. And the way he lays this out in verse 14 is the same way Roman soldiers would put on this gear when they were going to get dressed. The exact same way. Number one, here's what he says, having gird your loins with truth. So when the soldier would get ready for battle, the very first thing they would put on was this huge belt that protect their stomach from getting, normally they had swords, they get stabbed in the stomach. So in order to protect their stomachs, they had this belt that they would put on. They'd had to put it on first. It's kind of like when, when you, the soldier would be exhausted and they'd sit down and take a break. The first thing they'd do, they'd sit down and take the belt off. It means they're not ready for war, they're resting. When you put the belt on, it means you're ready for war. So they would have this belt on that says, I'm ready for war. Great. What is going to be the thing that you fight it with? Here it is, truth. Why is truth so important? Why? Here is why. We saw this in Genesis 3, that ever since Satan asked Eve, did God really say that? It then allowed Eve to define what truth is. Anytime humanity tries to define truth apart from the Word of God, it always leads to distortion and destruction. What is truth? There's only one truth. And it's not according to our preference or our likes or our emotions or our friends. Or This is the only truth that we have. This truth trumps any cultural truth. This truth has to trump cultural truth. Do you know what's scary? In our culture, it's getting more and more difficult to stand for this truth because then we look like bigots. Therefore, in order to gain more friends or not to be disliked, we distort the word of God as Christians because we're afraid to offend people. But when we're afraid to stand for the word of God because we're afraid to offend people, what we're doing is we're choosing to offend a holy God in order to please sinful people. You can't have both. In fact, by wanting to avoid the fact of offending people, You're patting them on the back as they go straight to hell. That's more offensive than anything else. To stand on the word of God in love, with kindness, gentleness, character, patience, peace, in love. If we really care for people, in love, what people need is the truth and word of God that cures all sin, evil in their lives. This is what people need. So the first thing he says to put on is the truth. Don't stray from the truth. Even when it's hard, don't stray. Stand firm. Fight, Christian soldier. Fight, 
for the truth of God because it's a matter of life and death. Fight. Fight. It's not easy. Being a Christian has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Why? Because I'm constantly fighting against myself and the sin that's hungry. The biggest battle I have is with myself. Christian, fight. Or lay in a fetal position and get devoured. Fight. 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 Listen to what he says. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. They put on this breastplate that protect the heart, obviously protect their chest. This breastplate of righteousness is, is not that you are righteous amongst yourself or anything you can do, but the breastplate of righteousness is the imputed righteousness of who we are and how we walk because of what Jesus has done for us. This righteousness comes from a confidence of being in right standing with God. When you're in right standing with God because of Jesus, you are able to walk with confidence. It's interesting. The first thing he says to put on is the belt of truth. What does Satan always try to distort? Truth. You may not agree with me on this, but I believe life is important from the womb to the tomb. What does Satan want to do? Saying, have an abortion, no big deal. I don't mean to offend anybody. I'll let Scripture do that for me. According to one, Psalm 139, from the womb to the tomb. But it's offensive. What else is he distorted? Look in our culture. The family unit and what marriage means. You're probably frustrated with me for even bringing that up. He said it first. It's distorted the truth. And it happens over and over and over, and he won't stop. He won't stop distorting truth. He'll keep doing it. And he'll do it through you over and over and over. So part of his scheme, what does he do? What does he do? Well, we need a, blade of, a belt of truth, so therefore he, I bet he attacks truth. Second thing, the breastplate of righteousness. I like to think that in battle they probably went to heart, cut the heart often. It's interesting if Satan can attack the belt of truth and distort truth, then from that truth it will affect the heart. Think about that. The truth you believe affects the life you live. What is in your heart will what? Come out of your mouth. So if the truth is distorted, then enters your heart, which comes out of your mouth. Listen, look at, look at how this unfolds. Look, look, look what's next. What do you say? Then having shod your feet with preparation. You don't go to battle barefoot. You go to battle with shoes on, ready for war. Watch this. Mama's going to battle right now. I'm sorry, Mama. But watch this. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is huge. If he distorts the truth, look, look, it falls in order. Scripture's so clear. 
and powerful. Doesn't need our help. Listen to what Scripture does. It unfolds. Ready? If he distorts the truth, it gets to your heart. What's in your heart, what you believe, affects the way you... Watch this. What row? I don't care what you say. How you walk proves what you believe. Uh-oh. We in trouble. Because there are too many Christians confessing Christianity walking the wrong direction. Listen. Truth. Heart. Feet. Our job as a Christian is to be an ambassador for Christ. How sweet are the feet of those who carry and bring the good news. Listen, Satan doesn't want you to tell anybody about the good news. So if he can affect the truth, that'll affect your heart. You won't walk in truth. You will walk in deception, thinking you're walking in truth. So what does he attack? The belt, the chest, the feet. It keeps unfolding. They call this the gospel of peace, by the way. No wonder why he attacks the way we walk and the way we live, because if we walk with the gospel of peace, he is glorified. Verse 16, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith in which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What flaming arrows in battle? Here's what would happen. The very start of battle, you guys have seen Braveheart? I don't know about you, but it makes me want to go fight somebody in a Christian way, of course. Pull out my little folder of emails. But it's so, here's what happens. I love it. You see this in all these old movies this way. What goes off first before battle starts? There's flaming arrows. Like just everywhere. They're coming from all different directions. Just when you think it's only supposed to come from here, it's going to come from here, it's going to come from here. It's, it comes from everywhere. And what, what normally happens, have you ever had a week that you felt like, man, Satan is hitting, nothing can go right. You ever said that? Nothing can go right. So he says, how do you defend that? There will be moments in your life where you feel like nothing can go right. God, what did I do wrong? This is horrible. How do you protect yourself against that mentality and thinking that God doesn't love you or God's not protecting you? He says to pull out the shield of faith. Here's what they would do. It's a huge shield. You've probably seen this on TV. They would hide behind it and just cover themselves. You've probably seen that, right? You ever seen 300? Kind of like that. Is that rated R? Before I was saved, I saw it. I had to learn how to relate, relate to culture. Rahab lied, all right? So... They're covering themselves up, and arrows are coming from absolutely everywhere. What position do we take when life just feels like H-E double hockey sticks, and it's coming from every direction? You just want to give up. You don't even want to live. The truth is some of us are just saying, I'll move the shield. Just hit me. I'm done with this. You ever been there? What posture do we take when the schemes of the enemy's flaming arrows come from every direction? this posture. You ready? I don't like what I feel. It hurts. I don't feel God. I don't know if I believe God right now. They call this a shield of faith for this reason. 
I'm going to hide behind the word of God. And let this protect. This is my shield. My faith is my shield. So when my emotions tell me God isn't with me, my faith will say, yes, he is. According to Psalm 27.10, I will never leave you nor forsake you. My emotions feel otherwise, but Scripture tells me to change my emotions. That's the shield of faith. It doesn't feel like God is here. I don't even want to read my Bible. I don't even want to come to church. In fact, I didn't want to be here this morning, Pastor. And I hate that you're speaking right to my heart. What do you do? You believe what he said is true and you live like it. The devil doesn't win. He may get first downs, but he never scores a touchdown. The devil never wins. Do you understand that? Satan never wins. All he can do is throw flaming darts. But God has given you everything that you need. The helmet of salvation, my goodness. Paul says to take every thought captive. Is anyone else wired like me in here? You'll listen to just, or you'll think things that aren't true. And then for some reason you believe it. Or you text somebody and you receive a response and all it says is okay. You're like, what did that mean? Okay. Like, (laughs) okay, period. What's that supposed to mean? My wife's like, it means, like, okay. Yeah, but it's the way they said it in the text. I can feel it. And why they got attitude. Okay, period. And that emoji, I ain't never seen that emoji. But, like, our, our mind is the battlefield. You ever recognize that? And we could write, like, a, an entire novel off what's up here, a false novel. And if you read, go back and read that novel, it never lines up with the truth of who God says he is. The helmet of salvation, you know, the one thing the enemy will constantly want you to doubt is your salvation. The more you sin, the more you doubt your salvation. He wants you to be confused whether or not you are saved. I've seen two things happen. He likes to confuse people who are saved. Honestly, listen to this. We're about to close. If you're saved, he wants you to doubt that you're saved. If you're not saved, he wants you to think you are saved. Am am I not right? And that helmet of salvation. To hold tightly. You, You know what's interesting? These words put on. In the Greek, it's a continual thing you do every single day. There are too many Christians walking out of their house, leaving the armor right in in the front door. And you wonder why you're losing everyday battles. It's because you don't put on the armor. The last thing, I love this part. And he says, the one offensive thing, one offensive thing. All God gave us was one offensive thing. One. But it's powerful. The word of God. One offensive thing. This offensive thing, the one thing he gives us, it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need help. The word of God. You know what this is kind of like? It's kind of like Jordan and LeBron James. All you need is one Jordan and one LeBron and you get victory. They don't need help. Partly joking, but one thing, one. The word of God. 
Fridays we call Family Fridays at my house. Saturdays we call the Holy Day during football season. It's kind of like Thanksgiving at my house. We have a bunch of food and we watch football all day long. I don't know if anybody saw this game. Virginia Tech against Old Dominion. Anybody see that game? Virginia Tech was ranked number 13. Old Dominion, never heard of them. They've only had a program for 10 years. Anybody remember the score? 49 to 35, Old Dominion. Who? I don't know. I don't know how to spell it. And they were saying that was the worst upset in program history for Virginia Tech. Nobody expected that to happen. This is number 13, Virginia Tech. They have unbelievable players. They have all the tools they need to win. They had absolutely everything. So how in the world did they lose to a team that's ranked, listen to this, ranked 108th out of 130 teams in total offensive yards? It gets better. They're ranked 115th out of 130 teams in points. They only score 18 points a game. How did that happen? I read the post-game interview with several of the coaches. And he was honest. He said, hey, I'm not going to take anything away from Old Dominion. I respected that. He said, but my guys, he said, I'm embarrassed. My guys lacked fundamentals, and they lacked discipline. Therefore, we got destroyed. Christian, most Christians today don't lack the strength and power of the armor that God has given us. Most Christians lose battles because you lack discipline and fundamentals. Will you decide today, Christian, to say, no, ma- no longer will I stay in this fetal position and let the enemy win the battle of my mind, the battle of my mouth, the battle of my heart, the battle of my feet. I will be a soldier for Jesus Christ. I will stand on truth. I will live by his word. I will lock arms with my brothers and sisters in Christ and accomplish the mission that he has given us. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Have any of y'all seen Unbroken? The Christian one? All right. If I ruin it, I'm sorry. It's kind of like the Bible, like passion. You know what happens at the end. There's a scene in there you've probably seen on the commercials where Louis Zimbrini was a prisoner of war and he was out in the sea on a raft for 47 days. Can you imagine that? And in this picture, he was just malnourished. 
He was there, long hair. You can just tell he's been there for quite some time. And he looks up to the heavens. And they said, he says this, if you will save me, I will serve you. What made him look up to the sky? Oh, the fact that he was pretty much drowning. The danger. Is there are many of us in here drowning in this room this morning. You don't even know it. The enemy has made you think you are saved when you're not. For those that are saved, the enemy is making you think you're not when you are. The bad news for those that have never received Christ, here's the bad news. I said this with all humility and love. The bad news is you're drowning. And just like Louis Zimbrini, it's like you're on a raft. There aren't any rescue boats anywhere. Nothing. Just water and drowning. Good news. There's only one that can rescue a drowning soul. One. One. And it's Christ. And when God gave his son to die on the cross for us, here's what he did. You ready? Just put his hand out so that those drowning in a raft, you know what they need to do? Put their hand out. His hand is already out. In fact, he extended the invitation when he died on the cross. Will you reach out and grab the sweet hand of our Savior this morning if you're drowning? Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. Let's pray together.